But we're in the middle of a series called Revealed. It's all based upon the four prophetic words for this year. And the word we're on right now is the word manifest, manifestation. I just want to read this. This is the prophetic word. I read this every week just to remind us ourselves what we're um, talking about. In 2022, Jesus is going to manifest himself. There will be great visitations. Can we say amen? Dreams, visions, words, pictures, open visions. The word of, bo- word of the body of Christ is manifest here and now. It was so neat on Wednesday night as we were praying over, oh, we had to ask all the students to come pray over Miguel and Michelle. And David had a, prof- had a dream that the Lord had given him about oil wells that were being found in the ground. There were being just reservoirs of oil. Of course, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so he began to pray over that. And then um, who? Ariana, she, she had a, a dream or a vision that, that God had put armor on them and that they were getting ready for battle. And so um, just so neat to see what's going on. Anybody in here, I've been hearing a lot of people just been having dreams and visitations. Anybody just say, hey, that's me. I've been having some dreams. Yeah. Okay. All two of you. Awesome. Well, um, I saw more hands than that, but... I've been having them. Some of them I don't think are God dreams or pizza dreams, but, you know, uh, I'm a dreamer. But um, it's pretty neat to see what's happened. So manifest, let's just put the definition up there. It's plain, open, clearly visible to the eye or obvious to the understanding, apparent, not obscure, or difficult to be seen or understood. I've been actually was praying this prayer just a a few days ago. It might have been last night. I can't remember, but... um, just saying, Lord, just make yourself plain. I just, want to, I just want to see you clearly. Speak to me clearly. And the Lord is saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. Our theme verse is John 14, 21. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So we purposely cut back this worship time because we're going to be sharing on worship and we're going to worship at the end. But you know, every week I've been sharing this one little, little understanding that, uh, um, about this word manifest. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. But we don't always feel him or perceive him at once. But there are times when God invades our space. There are times when God shows up and reveals himself. It's in different ways and different things. Sometimes it's in prayer. Sometimes it's in pain and suffering. But he reveals himself. And the word presence literally means face-to-face. God is, he's a spirit, but he's also a being. And we're, we're called, we can meet with him face-to-face and talk to him. And the God of the universe, the creator of the world, and the savior of you and me wants to show himself and meet with you. And so these encounters, they change our lives. All of us can have moments, we've all had moments with the Lord. If you've been serving the Lord for a while, we've had moments in our life where like, yeah, yeah, that moment when, when the Lord did that, when he spoke that word, it, it changed everything for me. So here, here's the point. If God spoke to us and said, this year I want to increase that, we need to say, yes, Lord, do that. If, I want, if he wants to increase it, we say, yes, Lord. And then we say, Lord, what are the conditions? How do we prepare our hearts to, to, to receive that? And so I've already talked a little bit of the things, but first of all, we have to believe. We have to get the first obstacle is unbelief. Does God still really speak? Is he still really moving? First, that's the first obstacle. The second obstacle is we have to give up control of how he wants to do it and be like, 
You know, Lord, if, that's, if that person over there is crying and on the floor and that's how you're moving, okay, that's fine. Like, if you want to do this in me and it looks a little weird, that's fine. We have to be willing to give up control. So, and then we talked about worship last week. Worship is uh, worth-ship. The word worship is worth-ship. Whatever we give the most worth to is what we worship. So that's how easy idols can happen and creep up in our lives. The more we, we've got to give God more worth. If we give other things more worth, they become more important to God. That's how they become an idol. Worship is about submission. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then we're created to worship. Today we're going to go a little bit deeper in, in this. Uh, and we're going to talk about expressing ourselves in worship. Uh-oh. Some of you are like, okay. Some of you are like, ooh. So um, to break the ice, we've seen this video multiple times, but it's always worth watching. Let's watch this little video about worship expression. We got audio. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's... um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us. Feel free to join us, but don't feel like you got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're my church, music is rocking. Start slow. Hands in the pockets, little elbow flap. You're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to go post. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. You're set. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's a good laugh. It's funny because we've all done it, right? So, I mean. But uh, this week, I want to dive a little deeper into worship. And we're going to talk about the Mosaic Tabernacle. 
And you're like, whoa, Jeff, some of you who have been in church for a while, you're like, okay, yeah, that, that, that's going to be cool. Some of you who are new to the faith, you're going to be like, mosaic tabernacle. So we're going to get into this. But let me ask you a question. Do you think there is a way in which we should approach God? Think about that a second. Do you think there's a way we should approach God? Well, think, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus give, a way, give us a way in which we should pray? Now, the, the Lord's Prayer is not, I mean, it's good to recite it, but literally, it really is a guideline for how to pray. Our Father, art in heaven, praise. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Lord, take care of my needs. All these things, forgiving my sins, all those kinds of things, that's, that's, a, that's, a pro, that's a way to approach God in prayer. Maybe there's a way to approach God in worship. And... Um, or maybe a better way to say this is maybe there's a way to prepare our hearts to approach God. God is merciful. He's a good God. He's a good Father. Anyone who seeks after Him and loves Him, He will not re- reject. He responds to. But the, but the Scripture is pretty clear. When you need an answer from God, you, your heart has to be prepared to hear the answer. And um, Think about this. If I needed to share something with my wife, say I quit my job. I'm not quitting my job here. But say I need to want to share something with my wife. You need to share. I quit my job. Probably the time to go talk to her is not when you take her out to Top Gun to see the movie. And in the middle of the movie, and it's going on, it's one of those dogfight scenes. Oh, hey, by the way, I quit my job. And she's like, what? Yeah, it's going to be rough for a while. Watch this. That's not the time to tell her, right? That's, she's not, her heart's not prepared for that. It's, it's, and it's the same way for us. There are times where we, we can receive from the Lord. Our heart's in a place to prepare f- to receive from the Lord, and there's other times where we're not. And so the God of the universe wants to invite us into a relationship with him. He calls us to meet him. And, and I want to I read these two verses, Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Now, the mountain of the Lord is a picture of the presence of God. Mount Sinai, David is Mount Zion. It's a picture of who can go up to, to, to meet with him. Who can stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Do you see the conditions there? Who do not worship idols, nor te- never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So here's right here. Here's a way. we got to be prepared. Our hearts got to be prepared to go up to meet with the Lord. New Testament. Jesus is speaking, speaking to the Samaritan woman. They're talking about worship. She's saying, do, I, do, do we worship on this mountain or do we worship on the one, the Jews' mountain? He says, hey, it's all changing. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking people, such people, to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. They must worship him in spirit and truth. Don't miss the two important words here. True worshipers, and the word must. True worshipers must worship in this way in spirit and truth. So spirit means our spirit communing with the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is more than a religious ritual we're going through. When we are worshiping, we are actually meeting and communing with God. All right. Truth means we worship with an understanding of God. 
That's his word. We understand. So it's not just a feeling that I feel or this. I want God to do this or God to do this or the way I feel this and my heart burned, my heart's beating in my chest. All those things are fine to say. But the reality is if we don't worship God in truth with understanding, we are worshiping a false God. We don't even know who we're worshiping. And this is one of the problems. What I see is we've got a, a church that's just in general, not our church, but I'm just saying in general, that's illiterate. It's not reading the Bible. So the truth of God, so when they worship him, it, it, it resolves back to feelings. And, and there's nothing wrong. God's a God of feelings. But if you don't worship him in spirit, with your soul and your spirit, and in truth, the understanding of who he is, the Bible says we're not really worshiping truthfully. So how... So here we have a, a way to approach God. You see, God, he doesn't need to be approached a certain way so much as our hearts need to be prepared to meet him. And so today we're going to look at a guide we see in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Tabernacle. And we're going to be talking about how to worship a king. And there's a great book, I should have brought it with me or put it up there, but Zach Neese called How to Worship a King. I'll be taking some of the stuff out of there because that book has had a profound effect on me. But... Um, we're going to be talking about the pathway or the guidelines to worship him and prepare your heart to meet him. And that pathway is actually a model we see in the Mosaic Tabernacle. And so uh, in the Old Testament, God spoke to Moses when after they'd come after out of Israel or out of Egypt and the children of Israel. And he says, I've got I'm going to want you to set up a tent of meeting, a place where I'm going to meet. And here's how you want to I want to do it. And so I want you to watch this video. It's maybe a little cheesy, but it explains the whole thing. So. That way you get a, a picture of it. So let's watch this real quick. As the children of Israel left the life of slavery they had known for four centuries, God led them into the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Here in the wilderness, the work of stripping away their identity as slaves began. A new culture was being fashioned, one that would reshape their identity and teach them in literal and symbolic ways that God was their only hope and their only source for life. The focal point for their physical camp, as well as the center of their worship, would be known as the tabernacle or tent of meeting. Moses was summoned upon Mount Sinai, where God would speak to him for 40 days and nights, outlining the culture, giving the fundamental Ten Commandments, and explaining the ethics of this emerging culture he was creating in his chosen people. Upon Mount Sinai, God gave the blueprint for a portable dwelling place, where his divine presence would be among the people as he led them forward toward the Promised Land, their permanent home. There would be an outer courtyard around the Tent of Meeting, and inside the tabernacle, there would be an outer chamber known as the Holy Place, and an inner chamber known as the Most Holy Place, or Holy of Holies. Here in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant would dwell and the very presence of God would descend and be among the people. The tabernacle would occupy the center of the multitude, a million or more strong, surrounded by the Levites, who were set aside to care for it and lead the people in the worship of Yahweh. The tabernacle, 
accompanied the children of Israel through all their wanderings in the wilderness as an ever-present reminder of who they were and who they were becoming. It crossed the Jordan River with them into the Promised Land and eventually found a more permanent home in Shiloh, where the heart of the Israelite worship situated itself for the first three and a half centuries in their new homeland. The tabernacle was the religious heart of the people all the way through the time of the judges. As the time of the kings emerged, the Ark of the Covenant was lost in battle by King Saul, later to be regained but never again to be at Shiloh. Later, King David would bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and his son Solomon would build the first permanent replacement for the tabernacle, the Temple of God. I should give you a little bit of an idea of what that looks like. Somebody put together a life-size version of it. But the tabernacle was taken care of. It was moved. It was taken to and from as the children of Israel went from one place to another by the priests. And you had to be a Levite, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So I want us to take a look at this diagram here. And that just shows a little bit. So you come in through the, through the gate there and out of the, in the outer courts. And the first thing you would come to is the brazen altar or the altar of burnt offerings. And there's you would, you would give sacrifice, sin offerings, all that kind of stuff. This would happen daily. The next thing you would come to is encounter is the bronze basin or the bronze laver, laver, how you say that. Um, and this is the place where the priest would wash their hands before going into the holy place. Um, the priest would, would, would then go into the holy place, enter behind the curtain. Only the priests were allowed to go there. They would do religious offerings, rituals, and things like that. And behind the curtain of the holy place, they would see a couple things. You would see the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. Um, the, the bread was called, the showbread was actually called the bread of presence. You would actually also see there would be cups of wine and well, uh, as well. Does that sound familiar? Wine and bread. Um, the menorah, which would be lit a gold lampstand, menorah would be lit 24-7. And you would see the altar of incense that was burning. And then, and then of course, there would be a curtain that was separated, the holy place, which is literally where, the, where God's presence dwelt. Uh, it was the Ark of the Covenant that was, placed, uh, that was the literal presence of God. And inside the Ark was the Ten Commandments, was Aaron's uh, rod that had budded, and manna. And uh, between the cherub was, a, was the mercy seat. And only the high priest could enter once a year. They could only go behind this veil once a year to make atonement for the, for the sins of the nations. And they would take the blood of, of, of an animal and then they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And so the priest could, if they, if they entered any other time of the year, they literally risked death. So only the priest could literally enter the presence of God. No one else. The priest was the mediator between people and God he spoke to God on their behalf and made sacrifices for their sins. Now, that's the Old Testament. We're not under the law anymore, right? Praise God. Every year, the high priest had to go into that place and make sacrifices for the people's sins. But Jesus became the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice and once and for all paid for our sins. Thank God we don't have to do that every year. 
Hebrews 9.11 says, But now the anointed one has become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come, for he serves in a greater, more perfect, heavenly tabernacle. Remember that word right there. Not made by men. And he has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. He alone has made our salvation secure forever. So the Bible tells us when Jesus died, there was a great earthquake, and that the veil that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two, from, not from bottom to top, which that would be more sense because, you know, the frame, and actually from top to bottom, meaning Christ opened up the way for us to have full access to God. We don't need a priest. We go straight to God. He forgives us of our sins. He speaks to us. We have eternal salvation. We're made right with God through Christ Jesus. But let me ask you, can the tabernacle give us a little insight into heavenly worship? It's interesting that it says in that verse that we read that Jesus didn't go into an earthly tabernacle to do this, but into a heavenly tabernacle, into a heavenly tent, into the heavenly place where the throne, where the presence of God was at. And the book of Hebrews actually says something really interesting. Listen to this. The priests on earth serve in a temple that is but a copy modeled after the heavenly sanctuary. A shadow of the reality. For when Moses began to construct the tabernacle, God warned him and said, You must precisely follow the pattern I revealed to you on Mount Sinai. Now think about this for a second. A copy modeled after the heavenly sanctuary. Well, this tells us that when God was on, when Moses was on the mountain with God, he saw the heavenly sanctuary. And that he said, I want you to make something that's like this in heaven on, for on the earth as a model. That, that kind of blows your mind a little bit if you think about that for a second. So that means in heaven there's some sort of tabernacle, and we know that there's a throne of God, and we know the closer you get to the throne of God, Revelation talks about the brighter, the more intense the presence of God is. Hmm. God was giving the Jewish people a model. They didn't really understand. I'm sure they had some understanding. They didn't really understand what it all meant. They were just supposed to obey, but it was all pointing towards heavenly worship So now through Christ, we are seated in heavenly places. And our worship connects us to heaven. And First Peter tells us something interesting too. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. Or a spiritual tabernacle. What's more are you are holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So we're seated in heavenly places. So when we are worshiping, there is actually we are actually going through this tabernacle in some way by the Spirit of God. It's, I know it's big. It's a big thing. But, but just think about it for a second. So Jesus gave us a guideline for prayer. Maybe he's given us a guideline to enter into the presence of God and worship. How to prepare our hearts to meet with God. Now let me just say the Holy Spirit teaches us. Many of us go through this whole process I'm about to show you on our own because the Holy Spirit just taught us. 
I'm not trying to make some kind of religious, ritualistic thing here. We're under grace. I'm merely saying, just like the Lord's Prayer gives us a guideline in which we can pray, maybe the, Lord, maybe the, the, the tabernacle, Moses has given us a guideline how we enter into the presence of God and experience the real, revealed, manifest presence of God. So what, what does this mean for our everyday life? Well, it means that uh, every time you step into a time of worship, every time you step in time, uh, into a time of prayer at home, church, there are some things that you need to do to prepare your heart to actually go there with the Lord. So you ready to jump into this? Okay, you with me or are you confused? Okay, you're with me. All right. So we have to enter the tabernacle. Let's go back to that... Um, picture real quick. I, I forgot to tell you that, Lynette. I'll probably kind of just, just kind of keep going back to that after, between verses and whatever. We have to enter into the gate right there to actually get into the place where God is. We have to enter in. The, what's the Bible tells us? Psalm 104. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So the first thing that we understand before we come into the presence of God and before we come into the courts is we enter in with thanksgiving and with praise. But let me ask you this. What is the gate? Jesus says in John 10, 9, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come in and go freely and will find good pastures. So we enter into this place of worship through Jesus, first of all, because he allows us to go there. But not only that, we enter in with thanksgiving for who he is and what he's done. That's the first step as we come into. So when you come into worship in the morning, in your morning time or in this place, you begin to thank God for what he's done. God, thank you for taking care of me. And we, we thank God for Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. It's through those things that I even have access into the courts of God. We start there. Now, it's interesting. We have one word for praise in the Hebrew word, but there's eight, in the English language, but there's, only, there's actually eight Hebrew words for praise that all have a little bit different meaning. They're translated in English all as praise, but they all have a little bit different meaning. I want to go through a few of those real quick, all right? Halal is the most common word for praise. It's the word where we get the word hallelujah. It simply means to boast, brag, or rave about God even to the point of appearing foolish. Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise or I will halal the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This word is exuberant, crazy praise. That word means something. And so sometimes when we're singing songs like, Hallelujah. We're actually not even using the word correctly. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> the word means Hallelujah! Crazy praise! I'm going to look foolish before the Lord. Woo! That wake you up? Here's a second word, yada, means to give thanks, confess, cast praise with lifted hands. Yes. Lifted hands. So Psalm 9-1 says, I will praise you, I will yada, means I will lift up my hands when praise with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. Here's another word, tauda, 
thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise, a hymn of praise, musical by nature. It is also sacrificial in essence. That means it needs to cost us something as we enter into the presence of God and we praise. There's something that's costing us. So Psalm 50, 23 says, Whoever offers praise or taudah glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct, all right, I will show the salvation of God. So it's music by nature. There's, there's a sacrifice. There's a cost. I'm coming in with a sacrifice of praise. Maybe it's I'm laying down my pride. I'm laying down my pride. I'm laying down all the other stuff. Who cares what anybody's looking at me? I'm just going after God. I'm going to be more undignified than this. Zamar, here's another word, to, get, to sing and give praise while playing an instrument. It's so interesting to see these words because it brings a whole other kind of uh, a light to these things. So 2 Samuel 22.50 says, For I will praise or I will zamar, meaning I will play an instrument, to you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praise to your name. So there we go. Music is a part of worship. How about this? Tehillah. Not tequila. <laughs> Some of you are like, I can do that kind of praise. Uh, sorry, that shouldn't have gone there. Um, it means enthusiastic. It means public praise. So here we, Psalm 22, 3 says, You are wholly enthroned on the praises or tequila, the public praise of Israel. Doesn't that give some new insight to these words? It's interesting. Barak, to bless, to kneel, to adore. Psalm 103, this is my favorite verse, favorite psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless, Barak, kneel, adore, bow down to the Lord. So I want you to notice something that's kind of interesting in this. Every word with praise has to do with action. Words, songs, instruments, hands raised, kneels, shout, singing. Praise is not the thing at the beginning. Uh, The first fast songs and worship is the the slow song. That's not correct. (laughs) Praise is an expression of worship. Worship is much bigger than, um, than just songs. Worship is our whole life. And let me just say this. You cannot praise biblically in your heart. So if I walked to Sarah and I wanted to give her some really neat things and like, man, I just want to say how amazing you are. Sarah, you're awesome. And I walk up to her here and I just do this and go. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? I'm praising you in my heart. I've given you praise. She's like, that means nothing to me. You can't praise God in your heart, biblically speaking. Praise has to be expressed. Some of you are stuck. I believe that the Lord keeps telling me over and over, and I've said this many times. Some of you are stuck in your relationship with God and going further and deeper in the relationship with God because of this one thing. You're clogged up. Maybe this is a little crass about him to say, I feel like some of you are spiritually constipated. It's like God is wanting to release something out of you and you won't let it happen. No. Let me ask you a question. 
How many times have you been in a place where, um, where you've shared something? Maybe, maybe something really important, maybe at a wedding, maybe it's a funeral, maybe it's a, some kind of special event, and you've, and you've said something to somebody, and as you're sharing it, you get emotional. Well, you've already thought about these things a long time, right? Some of our psychiatrists and counselors will understand something about speaking and expressing it. Isn't, isn't that correct? You've already said these things out loud to somebody, but there's something happens when you say them that emotion begins to well up. It's important to let out what God's doing. It's for them, but it also confirms in you what you're really feeling, what's really going on in your heart. And I'm telling you, some of you guys are clogged up. You've... You will, if you just did this one thing and you begin to just express and not be afraid of what people think about you, I'm telling you, something will happen in your heart. It'll happen. So we enter in with praise through Jesus, the gate, tell of all he is, all he's done. And the next thing we encounter is the bronze laver or lava or the bronze basin. Okay? This is where... Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't do that. Next thing we go is the altar of burnt offerings. I just skipped something. Um, this is where the, the, the altar, the brazen altar, it's got different names. This is where uh, people would bring their sacrifice, of bulls, lambs, doves. This would happen daily. They would bring their sacrifice for God for their sins and for offerings. First of all, we understand that Jesus is our sacrifice. He allows us to even come into the presence of God It's what allows us to enter in further into the holy place. He took the place of the bulls and the lambs. We don't have to do that anymore. Praise God. But we do have to bring a spiritual sacrifice. We don't do it physically anymore, but we do have to bring a spiritual sacrifice. So we enter in with thanksgiving and praise. And the first thing we do when we enter in, with, in, in the time of worship is we come to a place of sacrifice. And what is the sacrifice? It's ourselves. Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I don't know how to make it any clearer on that. I think that pretty much sums it up. This is the place where we come to and we lay ourselves down. We bow before him. We bring our wants, our desires, our hearts, our dreams, our addictions, our hurts, our unforgiveness, our bitterness. We present our bodies. God, everything I have is for you. We lay it at the altar. We lay it at the foot of the cross. Lord, if you don't want me to have that car, if you don't want me to have that house, if you don't want to have, have that boat or that phone or whatever it is, I don't want it. I want you more than those things. Lord, if you don't want me to have that lifestyle because you want me to live a different way, that's hard. I have to live on less, but I'll do it. If you don't want me to move there, if you don't want me to go there, if you don't want me to watch this, don't want me to hang out with that person, whatever it is, God, I lay it down at your feet. It has to be all or nothing. 
We can't enter into the deep places of worship until we've gone through the sacrifice. Why? Because if we aren't willing to lay things down, God's like, you can't go any further in my presence because you're not going to listen to anything I say. You're not willing to sacrifice. You can't go deeper without sacrifice. Worship always requires an altar, and it costs us something. And we want to go into the deep places of God. It's going to require sacrifice. The next thing we encounter is the lava or the water basin. It was filled with water and had little mirrors on the inside of it. And the mirrors they got actually from the Egyptian ladies. They're like a bronze that was polished. And that's the first thing we encounter. And the priest, after they would do the sacrifice, they would wash their hands before they would enter into the holy place. They would, this was a physical washing, but it was also a ceremonial washing. And this is a picture for us of self-reflection, specifically being washed by the water of the word. The Bible's clear that the, wa- that the word of God is, is actually reflects, is a reflection of what's really going on in our heart. So Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husband loves your wa- Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he may present the church himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back for a pure, spotless bride, and one of the ways that I clean my people is through the word. In fact, he told his disciples, he says, you're already clean because of the word I've given you. He's already already done that. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged source cutting between soul and spirit. So the word of God actually helps us understand that's a soulless realm thing or that's the spirit of God speaking. Between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Its desire, its plan is to just expose what's really going on in our hearts. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So we don't actually look at and view ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. Well, man, at least I ain't doing that stuff. Man, look at them. Whoo! At least I ain't that. Man, my kids are behaved. At least they're not doing that stuff. We don't act, we're not called to judge ourselves according to what anybody else. We're called to judge ourselves according to the word of God. His word will give us a true reflection of who we really are. So practically speaking, It's two things. It's coming to the Lord. It's reading his word on a continual basis. But it's also coming to the Lord during any time of worship and with the self-reflection saying, Lord, is there anything in me you're not happy with? We come in with thanks and praise. We sacrifice. And then the next thing we say is, Lord, I've laid everything down. But Lord, now show me what's going on in the heart. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Sometimes we've got to ask him those things. 
We just think, well, it's just going to come and it's, I'm going to get, you know, something will come of it. Sometimes we just need to ask the Lord, God, is there anything that you're just not happy with? And the Lord will say, yeah, I've been waiting for you to talk to me about that. Yeah, your attitude over here. And sometimes it's just the smallest thing. Nobody even else, nobody even knows about it. They would need, oh, it's fine. But in your heart, you knew that your motives were wrong. And the Lord's saying, I just want to talk to you. I want the word of, I want my word just to wash over you and cleanse you. Do you know what I'm doing right now by sharing God's word is actually cleaning you? You know that? Not, not me, but the word of God is doing that. It's convicting you. It's making you look at your own life. It's making you think about things. Oh, maybe, maybe I haven't really done that before. That's what the power of the word of God is. When we read on it, we meditate it, we hear it, it's cleaning you spiritually. It's washing you. So the tabernacle was, let's go back to that tabernacle, it was split into two things, the outer courts and the inner courts. So all we've talked about is the outer courts, and that's where we're going to stop today. Next week, I'm going to go into the inner courts, okay? The outer courts was loud. There was a lot of people. There was commotion going on. It probably stunk like animal dung. There's a lot of animals. Probably, I don't know what animals being burnt. Some of them smell good, I guess. It's a good steak. Probably smells good. But I don't know what it would smell like, but there was a lot of slaughtering going on. It probably didn't smell very good. The inner courts was behind a thick veil. It was quiet. It was dark. And it smelled like incense and fresh bread. Think about that. I mean, you can even, we could go all over that. What happens when we get in times of worship and then all of a sudden it, it's just like, man, it gets quiet. And we get, we just, we get contemplative. Many Christians rarely or never go into the inner courts of worship. They stop at the outer courts. Now, the, whole, the inner courts had, of the holy place had three things we'll talk about next week. Had the bread of presence and communion. This was the place where you face-to-face with God. It also had, go to the next picture there, the, the menorah, which was filled with olive oil and lamps. Okay? The oil represents the Holy Spirit, and the fire represents the Holy Spirit's fire and boldness in our life. And lastly, the altar of incense. This represents the prayers and intercessions of the saints. Remember, we're talking about a lifestyle of worship. We're not talking about the four songs we sing on Sunday morning. We're talking about much deeper. We're talking about the manifest God of presence of God, God revealing himself. The outer courts is God ministering to man. Saving us, healing us, convicting us, cleansing us. The inner courts is about man ministering to God. Communion. The Holy Spirit's fire. Praying the heart of God. Intercession is actually literally praying God's heart. It's what's on his heart. And we pray that out because we've talked about this before. God doesn't do anything unless through prayer of man. And he's saying, I want you to get in my presence, and I want you to spend time. And when I do, I want you to pray my heart. I want you to intercede on the behalf of others. So the outer courts is about God ministering to us, doing all the things we need. But the inner courts is so much more about man ministering unto God. 
And so many Christians stop there. They never go into the inner courts. Many of our church services never make it into the inner courts. We come in with praise, we sacrifice, we serve, we we are taught God's word, but God says, I want to take you deeper in my presence. I want you to know me. I don't want you just to know the things I've done about for you. I don't want you to just know about me. I want you to know me. And that only comes with time. This goes way past religious rituals, and I did the thing, and I prayed the prayer. I raised my hands. I did the fish is this big, and I'm feeling good today. I made it a little further. It's way much more than that. God wants to get personal. He wants to show himself to you. The outer courts are essential because without the outer courts, you wouldn't be prepared to go into the inner courts. But don't stop there. Keep going. Keep pressing in. He loves you, and I'm telling you, he wants to meet with you a hundred times more than you want to meet with him, and it's just part of life. Next week, we go in the inner courts. Now, I want to remind you about our special service we're having in the counter service at 5 o'clock in the evening. I'm going to have that worship team go ahead and get in place. We're going to be praying for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, those who want to receive more of God. So I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'd love to see this place full as we pray for one, one for everybody. But I just want to say this before we go back into worship. Everyone... All the Israelites, all the Jewish people could go to the outer courts. That was no problem. They would come in and bring their sacrifice. Only the priests were allowed in the inner courts. Only the priests were allowed to go in there and minister to God. The symbol of the tabernacle, I mean, the tabernacle was set literally right in the middle of all, I mean, a million people. They were all, and it was right there in the center. Everybody could look at it. Everybody could see it. But only the priest was allowed to go in and have communion with God. They were the only ones that could go in and where God literally dwells and meet with him. And when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two that separated the holy place. <sighs> Praise God. The manifest presence became available to every believer. Surrendered their life to Christ. This signified that through Jesus Christ, now everybody has access to the presence of God. We all become priests. We all get to, get to do the stuff of God. And what an honor. What a privilege. We get to go straight to heaven's throne. So when you think about that, go back to 1 Peter 2, what you read earlier. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that pleases God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus leveled the playing ground. He separated, I mean, he, he broke down and erased the lines between the spiritual elite and the common people, the priest and all that. He separated the lines. But isn't it interesting that religion always wants to put and draw the lines back in? Religion always wants to put separation and division between those people. I mean, that was the whole purpose of the Pope and the, and the priests in the Catholic Church. I know there's great people that love God, but the, the reality is that that whole thing is set up to only they can read, hear God. They only, they, especially when it was Latin, only they could read God and explain things to you. They could forgive your sins. 
That's what religion does. It puts you back into that place where there's a separation. And we do this in evangelical and Protestant churches too. We think that pastors have some sort of bat line to God. That ain't true. I struggle just as much as you do. The other day we went to Holly and Shane's house. And I do this every once in a while just because I have a little fun with it. But um, we were several of us guys. They helped move. I didn't help move. I got there conveniently right as they were finishing. And... um, (laughs) Not on purpose. And they said, let's pray. And I said, yeah, let's get around. I said, well, make sure I pray last because my prayers go a little higher than yours. I was joking. Obviously, I hope I I was joking. But here's the point. We all have access to God. Wow. And many of us stop right before that place. Maybe we don't enter the courts because we don't believe we have access. Maybe we think, well, I'm a sinner. I've messed up too much. Made mistakes. I'm not trained. I don't even know what to say. Look, that's all hogwash. (laughs) Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. It doesn't matter if you just sin five seconds before you got in here. You can enter in the presence of God. You repent but you, you enter in the presence of God. If you surrender to Christ, you have access to the holy place. You can have the fire of the Holy Spirit. You can change lives. You can see people literally, literally uh, situations changed by your prayers and intercession. You can be on fire with the Holy Spirit and with boldness to go out and share your faith. You can do all of that stuff, but you've got to go there. you got to step past the curtain and walk into the holy place and so we're going to just finish up with a little worship I want to remind you I want to remind you the steps so far that we're in number one we enter in with thanksgiving and praise number two we bring a sacrifice and we, we lay ourselves down and number three we let the water of the word wash over us and we say Lord is there anything in my heart So we're going to enter back into worship, and you can even go through that process yourself. Lord, I just praise you. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for what you've done. And Lord, I just lay myself down again. Lord, if there's anything in my heart that needs to be taken care of, Lord, do it. So let's enter back in for a little bit of time of worship, and then I'll close us out. Let's stand up.
Jesus. Nothing can stand against. So whatever we're um, dealing with today, whatever is weighing on our hearts, whatever we just want to release, you can come up and to the front and have one of these beautiful people pray over you and pray with you today. We're going to keep on worshiping for a little bit. He is so worthy. Amen. He is so worthy.
So I'm going to officially dismiss, but we're going to continue in this attitude of worship. I just believe that there's a an anointing right now for freedom. And if you're trying to get free from something, I encourage you to just come down, find somebody. You don't have to find somebody. Just kneel at the altar and say, Lord, I want to be free from this thing. I want to walk in power. I want to walk in total freedom. Um, so, Lord, we just thank you, Father. You're teaching your people how to be true worshipers. Lord, we're not here to just check off a box. We're here to meet with you, God. Teach us how to do that, Father. Teach us how to do that, Father. Lord, I pray for these saints, Lord, as they go about their week, Father, Lord, that there'd be encounters. Lord, I pray for spiritual dreams and visions and peace and all the things that you want to do and visit your people father i pray in the name of jesus amen i'm gonna we're just gonna stay in this attitude and worship can we go back to that heart of worship song just can, can keep singing that for a little bit and i'm gonna officially dismiss you guys but if you want to just 
hang out at the altar for a little bit and worship. Come on, come on down here and do with us.